0: So for the last few shows we've talked about uh, Chinese medicine uh, more than anything, a little bit to do with Qigong, but in the first three episodes, primarily Chinese medicine based. Today I want to talk about uh, another one of the aspects of my own personal study which is uh, martial arts training, Gong Fu training. So, This might seem like a bit of a a change of topic, a bit of a change of pace from uh, Chinese medicine. Yeah, I guess so. But to me, it's all part of uh, one study that I've basically engaged with um, over the course of my life. Um, So the path uh, for Taoism, it can include many different aspects to it. Uh, Chinese medicine and and various uh, healing modalities being one of them. Uh, Qigong being probably the core of it all, to be honest. I mean, I think that anybody who studies uh, anything to do with the internal arts needs to have a good grasp of uh, qigong. Then you have uh, meditation and the alchemical side of it, um, and then martial arts as well, which kind of uh, makes up for the the physical exercise exercise aspect um, of the tradition. Not everybody can study all of the different aspects of it, because each each one is time-consuming, right? And there's nothing worse than being a a jack-of-all-trades, a master-of-none, uh, I suppose. Um, but if somebody were to dedicate their entire life to the tradition, then it's almost inevitable they'll end up studying all of these different branches. And, and the funny thing is, at some stage, that sometimes it's difficult to put into words um, how, but you do end up finding a common thread that exists between all of them. You find that they cross over. Um, and when you study the, the, all these different facets of this, this great tradition, uh, then you end up being led to some kind of central point where, where maybe the, the deepest change and transformation takes place. It can be difficult sometimes to put fully into words what these uh, traditions and arts are for, uh, especially martial arts. You no, know, no, That's a hard one. Like There's a part of your brain that will understand, okay, this is good for me. This is doing this. This is helping me in this way. This is developing me in the direction I want to go. But And then you try to explain to someone else, it's very, very difficult, especially with martial arts because of the attachments that martial arts have to violence, obviously, which is a funny one that often I've seen people in modern times try to deny the connection of violence to martial arts fully, like saying they're just not connected, but of course they are. Uh, violence is a part of it. Um, Even if you're practicing your martial arts as a spiritual art, purely as a form of moving meditation, it's still based in combat. At some point, if your martial art is honest, you still have to do some kind of uh, partner work uh, with somebody and and ultimately that's symbolizing or or enacting uh, a form of violence between two people. So, what is it about these arts? Uh, The first thing is that, that term violence, right? Uh, Like some people, when you start teaching them, even that that word is frightening or a bit offensive or or something like this because uh, maybe they're not looking at the term violence in the broadest sense. So if you look at uh, cultivation, like personal cultivation on a deep level, uh, what you're ultimately trying to do is create some kind of inner evolution, right? Some people don't like that. And they say, you're already perfect the way you are. Um, yeah, um, I don't really buy into that. That's certainly not the view of uh, most of the classical traditions. I think that's a modernism more than anything else. Most of the classical traditions, especially the Chinese ones, um, and Taoism, <laughs> uh, for sure, uh, states, and this is not my words, this is theirs, they say that when people begin, uh, they are uh, crude people, rudimentary people. Um, and through training that a person can uh, elevate their position to that of a genren or a sage. Uh, so the view that uh, there's nothing to do, uh, that you often see thrown around in meditation, is a modernism. Uh, it's not how they viewed things in the first uh, place. In the old traditions, their view was, there is work to be done, here is a path, uh, and this is the path we Uh, can walk to get us to a stage where we can understand what this kind of evolution is. At some stage, a bit later on, the path that can be walked is not the real path, meaning that even though we need a guideline, we need a structure to follow at the beginning, in the end, we can step away from it. At that stage, and only at that stage, then perhaps there is no work to be done. We just sit and abide and allow uh, the natural course of our evolution to unfold from within. Okay, So... Basically, the idea was that a tradition is followed, a path is followed, but then at a certain time we step off the path and step off the tradition. But we step off of the path and away from tradition at the right time. Most people do this too early, and that's a problem. Uh, you need to <laughs> you need to complete the foundation work before that uh, abiding in uh, stillness and nothingness is your sole purpose. I've seen many people step off the path too early. It's uh, that the causes weren't in a place, so they can't step back and allow the effects to rise, okay? Arise. So if you think of everything being cause and effect, the path creates the causes, and then afterwards we allow the effects to to fall into place within us. Martial arts are the same as this, right? There is a developmental process that a person goes through. uh, In order to try to understand, first of all, the nature of well, on a basic level, how your mind and your body are connected and and how your body can be controlled in various ways. That's step one, right? Certainly with the Chinese arts, like (laughs) for beginners, where are your your arms? Where are your legs? (laughs) Where are your shoulders? Where are your elbows? That can be a challenge, uh, if nothing else. Then how do you use them? How do you make the body move more efficiently uh, for whatever the art is trying to teach you? That's step one. There's your limbs. This is how we move them. Then there is the question of how do we move those in relationship to another person? How do we control our form while somebody else is involved? Then it gets complex again. Then it might be, how do we deal with our own body and control everything about ourselves and our mind while that other person is trying to stress us out? And they're trying to stress us out uh, through either a simulation of, or depending on how rough your martial arts are, I suppose, Um, more than a simulation, like full contact work of of putting you into a violent and stressful situation. So obviously everything is very, very controlled in the beginning. So you have preset patterns in the majority of uh, certainly Eastern uh, martial arts. And then gradually as time goes on, things get more free form and less cooperative and less compliant. And what the other person is uh, manifesting for you is ultimately a huge stress. Here is a stressor. There's nothing more stressful than someone trying to punch you in the head, right? Uh, that's, you know, that can, that can really uh, throw you off-center and ruin your day. So we use this as a metaphor within martial arts um, to enable the mind to remain uh, centered and maintain whatever state it has whilst there is a stressor being applied. Some people might be listening to this and already go, uh, okay, right? He's already talking bullshit. He's gone into the sort of spiritual side of it, but well, not really. I mean, but that's that's what the martial arts became. You might look historically, originally, at where they came from, and sure, they came from fighting. They came from how to stop this person killing me. How do I kill them first? You know, but they came from different times. Uh, nowadays, okay, the threat of violence is still real, um, especially in uh, many places, rougher towns, even in the West and things like that. But I would say statistically the chance of being murdered in the street are a lot slimmer than they were maybe 500 years ago, 800 years ago. Uh, you know, Historically, we understand times were a bit more rough and, and death was a bit more <laughs> in your face or more of a risk. So what happened was that those Chinese martial arts especially developed, they started to move away from this uh, need for uh, being for life protection and they started to move towards something that could refine the self. I think that ultimately uh, what happened was that uh, people were studying them in a more traditional sense for combat, and probably what they noted as a byproduct was that actually people who studied them properly and did it in a, a correct fashion started to become more centered, more focused, um, and ultimately more refined. Uh, on on some level Uh, and this was useful I mean if you want to run a society and you want people to be quite refined and quite centered you don't want them uh, falling off the rails and being mentally ill all the time and and things like this so martial arts became good for that and I think even in modern times people recognize that I mean when I was walking around a town in America I think it was in Northern California maybe it was Berkeley I'm not sure might have been somewhere like that like a town near San Francisco or around the bay area or something I don't know and I was walking around and I was quite surprised because I just walk in sort of block by block um, and on every corner of every block there seemed to be a dojo or a martial arts school or a kung fu school or something like this um, and it was it was a weekend it was morning uh, saturday morning so all the classes were running and I was looking through the window and it was mostly kids you know I have to say the standard was quite low uh, from a traditional martial arts uh, perspective, in my opinion, from what they were being taught. But uh, in most of the cases, but it didn't really matter because the the children were there and it was like a, a class they were going to, and clearly a lot of parents in the area were sending their kids there, and I'm sure that the majority of them were sending them there for uh, you know learning discipline and confidence and and, and things like this rather than they decided their child was going to be the person to master that martial art to keep the tradition alive or something like this. So people recognize even on some level that they're, they're very good for a child's self-development. Self-defense is obviously on a physical level like a, a major component of martial arts. Uh, but self-defense exists on lots of different levels, right? So you have obvious self-defense from somebody attacking you. In uh, my opinion. I think Chinese martial arts are a bit of a double-edged sword for that, uh, because I think they lead a lot of people uh, into a form of delusion, um, which I'll explore in a, a second. But if done right, they can be good for that. Um, but then there's other forms of self- defense right so the clearer and sharper a person's mind is and the more confidence they have then the less likely they are to be in difficult and threatening circumstances anyway right I mean if you look at what's taught in a lot of women's self-defense classes and things a lot of it is sort of situational awareness and stuff like that um, because clarity of mind and awareness of what you're doing and how your body works and how your mind works and where you are is going to uh, be a great form of Self-defense in many cases anyway, uh, because a lot of trouble that people get into, and certainly I remember you being younger, when I was out on a Friday night and you'd end up you know, as a stupid kid fighting with somebody or, or a bunch of people, normally it's because you'd been an idiot and wandered into the wrong area or said something stupid to the wrong person, normally because alcohol was involved, uh, <laughs> with a greater de- degree of, sort of centeredness and a higher degree of, uh, I guess, self-confidence. Uh, higher degree of personal what's the word hmm. if if there was less insecurity you know that insecurity that seems to nag at teenagers especially uh, uh, if there'd been less insecurity then probably there'd have been less uh, conflict with people anyway because of less of a need to prove uh, something to others so there's that level of self-defense too there's then, like, <laughs> to me, the most practical level of self-defense, uh, which is often missed, you know, is overlooked, right? Like, the most practical uh, level of self-defense is to defend yourself against the biggest threats. It's it's a numbers game, you know? So, uh, obviously, if we want to understand what we defend ourselves against, ultimately, you look for what are the most likely things to cause you harm or death, for example, um, and if you, it's an odd one, right? Like, if you were to listen to... there's a I don't know what you call these. There's a particular breed of martial artists that I find quite hilarious, really. Um, I'll be a bit insulting in this uh, podcast, I guess. I don't mean to be. I'm, I'm sort of tongue-in-cheek, sort of <laughs> stereotyping a bit. But I want you to understand what I'm talking about with martial arts. But there's one category of martial arts people. The sort of paranoid, uh, psychotic, often quite old, uh, normally male... Uh, normally quite out of shape and very stiff, <laughs> I find as well, but they're, I don't know what you call them, but they're the ones that always talk about street defense and, uh, you know, how to survive on the street and how to kill a man in three blows and oh, all this kind of crap that they they think they're living in a 1980s sort of kung fu movie or something like that. Um, and these guys, if if you were to listen to them, like, there's someone on every street corner and every dark shadow who could jump out and knife you at any second and, and you live in the most dangerous part of the world and oh, this crap. And it's ultimately it's a f- form of mental sickness to me, this sort of level of uh, paranoia that these guys have, you know. And I spent my life around martial arts, right? Like I started at age four and I've been through competitive martial arts and I've been through uh, exhibition martial arts and uh, fighting and, and maybe some of the more spiritual martial arts. You know, I, I've been through the whole spectrum, uh, over like three decades and across Europe and across Asia and I've met these people everywhere. It's, it's universal, it doesn't matter <laughs> what country they're from. Uh, they're these sort of paranoid angry martial artists and, and if the martial arts training has made you that paranoid and angry then they failed you uh, as far as I can see. If you look at like what they believe is the biggest cause of death, it's because gangs are ready to kill you at any moment with a knife. But if you actually look at the top 10 leading causes of death in the Western world, they're like heart disease, cancer, chronic lower respiratory disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, pneumonia, kidney disease, things like this. They're they're all illnesses. The only one that's not a health-related cause of death that's on the top 10 leading causes of death in the United States is accidents. (laughs) <laughs> like accidents around the home are number four and one of the biggest cause of accident apparently is poisoning uh which is listed uh, here i've got the stats in front of me quite uh surprising but like a quarter of people it's heart disease um that wipes them out and if you look at like all of the reasons for these diseases developing of course it's very very complex and there's um you know hereditary uh reasons for you having that sickness and viruses and I'm loath to use the word luck, but you know what I mean. Like maybe a causation chain too complicated for us to be able to identify. But there's many reasons why you get those sickness. But if you look at preventative measures for the majority of those conditions, what is listed is like strong, uh, like effective breathing, good circulation, not holding too much body weight, a healthy strength of sort of within the muscles of the body, basically being healthy you know, being healthy. The other major component to all of these conditions is is stress. Like no medical practitioner in modern times, maybe, maybe they denied it 50 years ago or something. I don't know. I wasn't alive then, but from what I understand, they would. But nowadays, nobody would deny that stress isn't the biggest killer, right? I mean, I think I've even seen it on uh, like billboards and, and the trains on the London Underground, you know, trying to drill into everybody, don't be stressed, which is kind of stressful in itself, reading them when you're just trying to get from A to B on the, on the train. But stress is the biggest form of killer, right? And stress is ultimately in the mind. So if we look at self-defense on that level, if we run the numbers, what becomes <laughs> most sensible is to defend ourselves from the things that are going to kill us, okay? Because the worst thing for your spiritual development is death. You know, because there's fuck all you can do then, right? You're dead and all right, like, yeah, okay. I can hear all the Buddhists harping on, but like reincarnation aside, okay, in this life, the worst thing for your life is for it, for your spiritual development to end. Because no matter what trauma you experience in your life, I mean, there's still the potential for work to be done, right? So if we're going to defend ourselves against the biggest killer, it should be those, should be those things. That's not to say we don't study for physical self defense as well, of course, um, but it doesn't, it means it shouldn't be our, the most important factor. If it was like a pie chart of importance, like 75, 80% of that pie chart should be self defense against poor health and poor mental health, uh, as much as anything, uh, and to develop and refine those parts of ourselves, as far as I see it. Um, And the remaining part of the pie chart might be to fight other people, like in a physical level, to defend yourself. So some people might be not like that, you know, and that's that's fine, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but this is my approach to, my personal approach to martial arts. I think that what happens with those kind of angry, paranoid, street defense, you know, learn to survive in a dangerous situation, all those kind of Assholes more than anything else. I think what happens to them is like the majority of people that go into martial arts and stay for more than a couple of classes. um, They're generally coming because they're insecure about something. That's normally the reason, right? Like we might not want to admit that, but I would say that's generally the case for people starting something like martial arts. Probably meditation, probably qigong as well. You know, they're insecure about something. What are they insecure about? Well, (laughs) what what aren't people insecure about? I mean, I think that the, for, I can't, I don't want to gender specify, but I can't really talk for women amazingly well, because, uh, you know, I don't have any personal experience of that, um, but certainly in the case of men, I think that whether they want to admit it or not, uh, certainly when you're younger, there's a lot of fear of other young men, right? I mean, it's uh, it's inbuilt into us, and the fear is not necessarily literal, like we could be beaten up at any moment but of course that is a part of it especially when people are in school age and and things like this Um, but there's also insecurity on lots of levels because ultimately we're animals and we're quite basic on many levels and and ultimately uh, you know insecurity compared to men that are bigger or more efficient or faster and it probably I don't know I'm not a psychologist but it probably comes down to basic things like attracting the correct mate the best mate and things like this and That's another thing people try to deny in the spiritual world, the alternative scene, that we're quite basic creatures, but of course we are, we're quite basic. It's psychology 101 that it comes down to these kind of quite quite fundamental basic drives, lots of our our mental states, you know. So, if people come in quite insecure because they lack quite a lot of self-esteem on some level, or they're nervous of something, they're frightened of others, or they want to be tougher, they want to be more capable. Uh, then hopefully what should happen in martial arts is it starts to do that for them, to build them up, to build that self-esteem. You know, the reason the parents in Berkeley are sending all their kids to those schools and things, because they're probably, I, I don't know, is Berkeley rough? I don't think so, is it? Maybe it is. You never know, like in America. It's a bit of a mystery. Like, I don't live there, so I don't really live in a place where people carry guns. But I, So I guess anywhere it could be quite dangerous in America. But I don't know, maybe California, can't, I can't imagine... California having a lot of guns, but I don't know. I got no. I got no idea on that. Um, but you know, I can't imagine that the mean streets of Berkeley being that rough a place. You know, maybe not compared to like Compton or something. So I don't think that's why the parents are sending their kids there. I think they're sending there to build their self esteem and their confidence and and things like this. So that's great. Like, and if the martial arts are taught well, that's what happens. But for some people. Or a lot of people, maybe that insecurity is never dealt with. Like it's never it's it never gets dealt with, you know. It's still there, you know, it's still lingering. There's this weird assumption when you're a kid, isn't there, that like adults are really secure in what they do and really confident and they know what's going on and then you, you become an adult and you realise now they're just as just as fucked up. They're, like nothing changes or anything. They're worse than kids, you know. Mm. And I think that uh what happens is they Try to deal with this insecurity, but it never happens. So they end up masking that insecurity. It's like they overcompensate, you know, and they overcompensate by uh, the facade of toughness. I think that happens. The facade of like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a killer. I'm a trained killer. Um, Starts happening. And then maybe they do some sparring and they beat the other person and that makes them feel good, you know, which it shouldn't happen. Like you should never feel good at dominating another person. But I think uh, a lot of people will fall into that trap. And then that rears up. And then after a while, this distorted sort of masking of the insecurity uh, starts to come about. And they'll start to think that they've developed this confidence and they've developed the strength. But actually what they've developed is anger and paranoia. That's that's what happens in the case of these types of martial artists. The problem is they also tend to be quite angry and loud people um, because anger tends to make you loud. And then angry and loud people tend to push to the front. That's what happens. And then people who push to the front because they're angry and loud normally end up in charge of things. That's just the nature of life, isn't it? Like if you look at lots of groups, sometimes you get the most competent person leading that group. Like the person in the business with the most knowledge and experience is in charge. Sometimes you get that. Sometimes you get the angriest and the loudest one has ended up in charge. And like you, can, <laughs> you can think of your own examples, but maybe look at politics in the West a little bit, where the angry, loud one ends up in charge. That's what happens, isn't it? Because the alpha type qualities cause them to push to the front, and, and the people with more beta tendencies tend to sort of shy away, even if they're more competent or more intelligent. And if you have somebody who's overcompensated for their Deep insecurities, by pushing forward with this sort of angry alpha activity, they end up in charge, then they are run in the class. Then when they run in the class, that creates another trap because another class becomes a boost for their insecurities because now they're in front of people and people are listening to them and, and people have a weird idea that martial arts teachers are gurus and that's not always <laughs> the case. Uh, so their insecurity never gets dealt with. The insecurity instead starts to turn into paranoia. Okay, and the paranoia is what creates this parody of a martial artist that you see taken the piss out of. Uh, sorry, if you're American, that, that means laughed at. That's, that saying only works in England, I've discovered. But, uh, yeah, it's when people take the piss out of those sort of extreme uh, paranoid self-defense martial arts teachers, you see them in comedy movies and things like this, you know. <laughs> uh, and, it, yeah, it's not that different from how some teachers are, sadly, you know. My advice to anybody looking to send their child to a martial art class is if the teacher is like that, don't send them there. That is not the place to send your your child, especially as there's something odd that happens in martial arts. Maybe it happens in other fields too, I don't know, but I I just know martial arts better than other fields, I guess, where the student becomes like the teacher. They sort of Start to take on certain qualities, and if the teacher is paranoid and angry, like is that the quality you (laughs) want for your child? It probably shouldn't be, right? I mean, assume you don't want a paranoid, angry child. So those aren't the places to send them, you know. I often get people who know me, you know, who know I have a background in martial arts, but I don't teach kids, right? It's just not what I do. No reason for it. I just tend to teach adults, you know. I have a 18 limit on my class. You have to be 18 years. or older to come. Um, so they ask me, where can I send the kids, my, local, my children, like where can I send them to a martial art class? They want to know what style. And the, in my opinion, fuck the style, like look to the teacher. So I always tell them the same. Go, like try out 10 classes in your local area. Don't just choose the nearest one. Go to the class and look at the teacher. Sit and watch quietly and just observe and then get to know the teacher a little bit and find the teacher that's an example of how you'd like your child to be. Um, because you can guarantee that it will have an effect on them and it will start to rub off on them. Um, And you want a a calm, centered, confident, but kind person. Kind is major. Look for the kindness. If there's any paranoia or anything like this, that's not the place to send them. So, there's another type of martial arts class, uh, which I call the delusion class. Um, You'll find lots of examples of these online, uh, on YouTube, in the delusion classes where people think that through uh, secret methods of demarc or something like this, they can, bec- you know, the death touch and poison ivy hand and, uh, I don't know, whatever the fuck they call it, puma fist or something. I don't know. It's very nerdy Chinese martial arts, really. That, that through these kind of techniques, they could become unbeatable killers, You know, and and this is the ultimate technique and stuff like this. Normally, the person running the class looks quite out of shape, which I find quite funny. It's like a joke in the martial arts that's sort of tongue in cheek, but also kind of true. That the higher somebody goes up through a belt system, uh, the the longer the belt has to become to obviously uh, get around their (laughs) ever growing waistline. Uh, And it's certainly the case. You know, you see a first dan, he's a certain uh, build, then you see two degrees past black, a second dan, and you know, the waistline's a bit bigger, by by 5th Dan, 6th Dan, 7th Dan, they're like a small red planet, you know, red-faced, fat, bloated, kind of, uh, and these same guys that are completely out of shape are often the ones talking about using the death touch to take this guy out and stuff, and that to me is called delusion, that's the deluded martial arts. I got no problem with martial arts being uh, weird or esoteric, um, like, not at all. I mean, anyone who might see what I do, I mean, within, especially within Tai Chi, uh, there's a lot of internal forces, Fa and what people call Wu Wu, or something like this. Um, I have no problem with that, uh, but I'm under no delusion that it's the ultimate weapon. <laughs> like, not at all. For a start, for the first thing, I wouldn't care what the ultimate weapon is, was. I, I have no desire to hurt anybody, and, and if somebody were to show me, this is the ultimate way to destroy a person if you train this, I, st- I wouldn't do it. Like, I don't want to destroy people. And the other reason I don't have any delusion around that is because, uh, to me, the the practice of pushing hands and fudging and what people call woo-woo, uh, it's ultimately really within a, a certain controlled environment where two people are working together. They're learning to understand uh, how force is received by the body Um, and dealt with by the body in various ways that can look quite esoteric or something. But as much as anything, uh, they're primarily because when someone is stressing the body through pushing hands and and pushing into you, and you can sung or release the the point of pressure of the force and release the force back out of the person, that's a metaphor for what's going on in my mind. That's it. Like I'm training into my body the quality I want in my mind so that when the stress comes into the body and I release it with minimal effort and, and throw the person away from me and bounce them away. What, if you're not sure what that is, just look up like Tai Chi pushing hands fudge and you'll find videos of people doing it. Um, that When I'm training that skill, I'm training that quality into my mind, ultimately because my main focus is meditation. Uh, and one of the hardest things with meditation is maintaining any state whilst under stress of thoughts and emotions. So eventually what happens is when your body trains uh, the release of song and the dealing of an incoming stressing force into your body so the nervous system can release it and create the effect of fudging, after a while that transfers through to the mind and it becomes much, much easier to keep the mind centered and calm no matter what's going on, what is going on around you. When I say what's going on around you, I mean your thoughts, right? <laughs> like, if you, if you study meditation, I, I think you'll, you'll know a little bit about what I mean. And I think that that's why most people who get into, especially Chinese internal arts, who end up studying pushing hands in the woo-woo sort of esoteric fashion, it's because they know that it helps them with their meditation. That's it. You know, it, it helps me with my mind and it helps me with my, my personal inner developmental practice, which is the most important thing to me more than anything else. So, but at the same time, I'm under no illusion that, that it's like the ultimate weapon or anything like that, not at all, and I think that's a sad uh, trap that you see Chinese martialists, Tai Chi people, fall into. I mean, they, they learn this skill where they can sort of bounce someone away from them and, and all of a sudden they think they're indestructible, um, and you see them sort of flaunting it around like they could knock over King Kong with one touch of their hand, and, and it's really not the case. First of all, it's not the case Like, if you're going to look at actual uh, combative training, some of the things that matter the most, footwork, distancing, timing, the ability to move your head, the ability to strike, the ability to grapple, the ability to ground fight these days. I don't think it mattered so much like 20 years ago because nobody had any skill at ground fighting, but these days, so many, uh, even your local village idiot moron thug has studied a little bit of ground fighting. So I think that... To study for fighting, you need to study that sort of stuff. And I think it's a, a deluded Chinese martial arts or Tai Chi practitioner that believes um, that they can sort of become a master of combat without studying all of those things. Of course not. So that's the first part of why I believe it's deluded to to fall into that trap. The second part is really because if you're past the age of what, 30? I don't know. I'm not sure where the line is. But if you're past the age of 30 and if one of the prime concerns in your mind is to become the most unbeatable fighter, (laughs) the toughest, hardest, most trained killer you can become, then, in my opinion, you're mentally ill. Like you should have grown out of that. If you've got an 18-year-old in a martial art class who wants to be the next Bruce Lee, and, well, okay, bad example, and there's tougher people, in that, but you know what I mean, wants to be an indestructible fighter. If somebody gets past 30 and that's still their aim, there's something wrong with them. By the time they get to 40, if that's still their aim, there's definitely something wrong with you. If you're 50 and you're still worried about being the toughest guy on the block, you need help like your martial arts have failed you and I would imagine that that quality is spilling over into every other aspect of your life so probably your mental state is making your life a very unpleasant experience so is that harsh? maybe it is (laughs) I don't know if something is not helping you to enjoy your life then I think well okay if something is not helping you to enjoy your life or give purpose to your life uh then I don't think it's that helpful. Like To me, those are the two qualities someone should train, enjoyment and, and purpose, you know, purpose. And something should be making you centered and kind and calm. So the opposite of that, if something is making you angry and insecure and dominant and jealous, that's not good for you. Like, take that out of your life, don't do that. If something is make you stressed and unhappy uh, and caught up in the uh, sort of parts of your nature that you should have grown out of, in your younger years, then that's not healthy either. That has to go. That's no good. Developmentally, that's no good for you, you know? I mean, one of the greatest boons of Chinese martial arts um, was that they absorbed Chinese medicine teachings to varying degrees. I mean, some traditions have more than others. uh, And I think maybe sometimes people overstate the connection a little bit too much. Um, So for example, you don't use the Meridian system in, in Tai Chi. And not a lot of people Realize that they don't know that, but you don't. Um, you do use some of the theories of Chinese medicine, but you don't use the uh, the channels in the same way. You know, and some people listening this will be disagreeing with me, but that's that's fine. That's that's just my experience after these years of practicing it that it works in a different way. But Chinese medicine teachings are all about like the mind-body connection and how certain mental qualities um, attach to certain organs and certain tissues within the body. Anger, paranoia, competitiveness, uh, stress, I suppose even, Um, all of those kind of emotions and mental qualities are associated with the liver. And the liver is also associated with the tendons in the body. If you're not a Chinese medicine practitioner, this might sound a bit strange at first, it's beyond this short talk on martial arts to explain why the connection is there. But they they link them together. So what it means is if someone goes through uh, chronic stress and anger and paranoia, that's like their lens that they're viewing everything through, uh, that ultimately the liver will start to become affected and then the tendons will start to tighten up around the joints as well. So somebody with a lot of anger and um, bitterness in them, these kind of qualities that they associate, they call them the wood qualities basically, but if they're in the body, then the joints become quite brittle, almost like they lack oil, you know? So they're a bit twangy, they don't have a softness to them. And that means that they snap. (laughs) They become brittle and they they break easy. So what you see is uh, a lot of long-term martial artists who came from this kind of angry sort of, we're gonna dominate and become the toughest people we can. If you see them in class, after they've been there a few years, you can tell them straight away because they're the ones that, before they start a class in the changing room, they have to put on their knee strap and then the ankle strap and then the, the back strap and then the shoulder strap, the ankle strap. And it always always makes me laugh because they're like, if you've not seen these joint supports, normally they're like blue or black elastic, you know, and you sort of put them on to hold your joints in place before you go into train. And, and some people have got so many of them, they may as well just put a wetsuit on. Like, just cover the entire body. You can't see any skin anyway, you know? There's just so many joints that are injured and they're supported before you go in the class. And a lot of the time, they're, they're ripping themselves because the tendons are becoming snapped because they're training wrong. So they're training angry and dominant and, and that's so that the liver system is fucked. And I, I've said that to martial artists in a more diplomatic fashion quite often. Um, like, maybe, maybe your training's not working for you if you're destroying the body like this. And they've scoffed at me. <laughs> you don't understand. That's because we train, uh, and they always use the same phrase, real martial arts. Like, like back in the good old days when martial arts were good and you just fucking destroyed each other for an hour and a half every Wednesday night. Like, that was the real like, You idiots. Like, you idiots. It's normal to pick up like a couple of injuries from martial arts. I've had broken ribs, broken toes, my shoulder's been dislocated. Like, phew, that's alright. Like, that's normal. That's called doing something physical. But I have to say that uh, my body ultimately... I mean, those injuries are dealt with, and my body is healthy, uh, and it's quite fluid in the joints, and I don't have any aches or pains. And all right, I'm only just coming up to 40, so I'm not that old. Um, But I'm not covered in... Like, my knees aren't destroyed, my hips aren't destroyed, my back isn't destroyed, and things like that. And like a lot of martial artists are, and I don't have to use these straps. And and personally, I just think it's because of the mindset. It's not because as they often assume that I didn't train uh, physically very difficult, because I think anyone who's actually done any martial art training with me would agree that actually I train quite hard, uh, probably harder than most Chinese martial artists. I push the body uh, quite hard, but I don't sustain those injuries because my, my liver's not knackered. Yeah, you know, that, that mental quality is not there. So, oh, let's carry on the rant. I feel a bit like I'm on a soapbox but (laughs) why not please take all this with a pinch of salt you know it's just a tongue-in-cheek chat about the stupidity of martial arts the martial art world is ridiculous isn't it like i've been in it for all my life i've been around teachers and organizations and associations i have to say it's really stupid it's really really stupid isn't it i mean there's so much nonsense in the martial art world and partially because they're so popular I mean, every every man and his dog's done a little bit of martial arts at some stage uh, when they were younger or something. So you get so many different people come into it. But I think there's so many attachments to martial arts, so many, such a broad spectrum of ideas, isn't there? There's, there's everything between the sort of uh, stereotypical Master Po and Master Kan of like, you know, Kui Chang Kane and Kung Fu and and being sort of the, the spiritual gurus if you weren't alive in the. Uh, 70s, you won't know what I'm talking about, but it was, (laughs) you know, the esoteric spiritual master sort of stereotype. And then you get the other end of the spectrum, kind of cage fighting UFC and things like that. And then then you got the stuff that I associate with the 1980s. As soon as people mention the death touch or, you know, what do they call it, like one hit knockouts or something like this or whatever, I associate that with the 1980s. Like, that, that was a weird era, the 80s, wasn't it? Very strange. That's where I was born, 1980. you know, A weird era where people like Jean-Claude Van Damme and all that were... Was that the 90s? I don't know. But you know what I mean. Those kind of shite films that were... <laughs> Kung fu films are really popular. They were trying to find a new Bruce Lee, you know, and with with a Western actor. And and martial arts went through this weird uh, period. And, and a lot of the martial arts left over from that era are the ones that people have really, like funny colored suits with lots of badges all over them and the tiger on your back and uh, on the back of your martial arts suit. And, and <laughs> Normally the teacher has a mullet for some reason. I'm not sure what that's all about. Normally, normally they're in America, actually. Uh, America has loads and loads of these. Europe has quite a lot of them, but America has loads of these kind of classes. Uh, I find it quite funny. And it's like pfft, crazy, you know, training all these death touch and things like that. That's 80s martial arts, I think. I think they, they'll fade. I think they'll fade. I think what'll happen is the current teachers of that who now are in their sort of 50s or something they'll get old and then they'll die and then those martial arts will die out. And I think for the martial arts world um those styles should go, you know. I think they should go. What's sort of left really is to look at kind of the categories of martial arts, you know. Like I think if you look at the internet these days, there's so many arguments in the martial art world. I think there's arguments everywhere, so maybe it's not the martial art world, but the internet is rife with it. I mean, the internet's a strange thing, right? We've we never before in history been able to instantly talk to anyone anywhere on the, the planet I mean, like like we can now. It's quite incredible. So you've got people in America talking to people in England, talking to people in China, talking to people in India. Like The connectivity is huge across the Internet. So uh, consequently, what do people do? Do they use this as an opportunity, the Internet, to find out what's going on over there and compare ideas? No, they use it to shout at each other. <laughs> Generally, they just have arguments on the Internet about everything and then insults and people can vent their little insecurities on there. But... The martial art world is full of these and the argument always seems to exist between the spiritual practitioners, if we want to give them a rather crass term, and the 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 people doing it for sort of fighting, you know. That's where the argument exists. And both camps sort of venomously dislike the way the other one does things, so they shout at each other until until nobody ever changes their mind, you know, and on it. And I think uh, part of the reason is I think they're both right actually. Uh, i'm i'm a I'm a filthy fence sitter i'm an odd one because most people would associate me with more with what they sometimes call woo woo martial arts sort of hippie esoteric when actually uh, i'm not actually very hippieish i'm a bit of a spade as a spade kind of guy um but that's what they associate me with um but actually i I quite like the the more combative uh, martial arts as well i'm I'm a bit of a fan of both but I think that uh, if you divide the martial arts up into three types, what I tend to think about is you get uh, wartime, what I call wartime martial arts, like designed for killing another person in a war. I mean that's really what it is, right? And lots there are martial arts based around that, and it's about mercilessly taking a life. Personally, I think that's the smallest category of martial arts. I don't think any of that really exists, hardly any at all anymore. But there's lots of people thinking they're doing wartime martial arts I really think there is I remember being uh, doing I uh, Iido Kendo and Iido I remember being in an Iido class and if Iido is the so, uh, Japanese art of drawing the sword you know I, I've studied uh, like 12 different Japanese martial, uh, no eight different Japanese martial arts about 15 Chinese and and a bit of a few Western fighting styles so I got a bit of a spread behind me I wouldn't claim expertise in anything more than three or four of the systems but I do have a sort of quite a good understanding of how the other systems sort of how they work you know I had I used to have a rule that if I did something for a year I didn't understand it if I did a martial art for three years I kind of had a grasp of what they were doing if I did the martial arts for a decade a style then I'd understand that art quite well and that's that's kind of where I was so a lot of my um, background in Japanese uh, martial arts aside from karate which was a lot longer um, is normally about three years or something so I did uh, Iaido and Kendo sword drawing arts long enough to have a vague idea how they understood how they worked you know and one thing that would always surprise me is the, the conversation in the locker rooms afterwards when everyone was a bit sort of high on adrenaline from the class, you know. And, uh, and they always found me a bit strange because, uh, you know, I would always talk about like, uh, well, I guess the meditative side of it, you know. I mean, we're drawing a, a single cut done in a specific fashion with a Zen philosophy behind It was very appealing and I was like, this is great. All the others would talk about how that cut would have felt if it went through an artery or through a wrist, or, uh, you know, like they were talking about <laughs> how they hoped robbers would come into the house so they could defend themselves with this sort of nonsensical shit like this. And I, I realized they all thought they were practicing wartime martial arts in the UK, which is not a violent place, particularly apart from in some very small, isolated areas, you know. Uh, and there was a couple of non. non- Sensical things. There, one, the UK is not violent, and the town they were training in was certainly not violent, uh, not at all. It was a very quiet area, quite calm. You know, the worst you might get is a black eye on a Friday night. Hardly the kind of offence you should remove someone's head with a katana for. It might seem a little bit of overreaction, um, but you know, it certainly wasn't a rough place. And. When they were using the sword, they are talking about like they were doing wartime martial arts. So that was the first thing that I thought was very strange. It's like you're completely doing the wrong thing for where you live. There's a saying, isn't there, that always gets thrown at me when I say things like this. And the saying goes something like, uh, I get it wrong, better to be a soldier in a garden than a gardener in a war. Is that the saying? Better to be a soldier in a garden than a gardener in a war. Yeah, that's the saying. Uh, I think they're both wrong. (laughs) Like they're both nonsensical. Be what is appropriate for where you are. That's it. Like that that's what you should be. Uh, A soldier in a garden is completely out of place and so is a gardener at a war. Like uh, that's just obvious to me. You know, like if if you live in a really rough area, like it's really horrible and you could die at any second, move. There you go. (laughs) There's the ultimate self defence. Move. Now, if you're listening to this in some war-torn country, I suppose the internet could do that Uh, these days. Then, okay, I apologise. I take it back. I'm largely talking to people in Western Europe and America. And if you live in a rough area, move. If you don't move and you like staying in the rough area, then that's your own lookout. Like, fine, have a really stressful life. Um, That's your choice. So that's the first thing that was wrong with it. Like they were, they were practicing. The second thing was they were just deluded. They were so deluded. I don't understand how they felt uh, that carrying, ultimately, what is a bamboo stick in Kendo and hitting each other in a suit of armor, or using sword cuts in the air or as part of a two-person form in in Iaido or something, how do they think that helps them deal with the psychology of actually opening up an artery and spraying the life force out of a person's blood of someone they've just killed and dropping them on the floor? ah, the, The psychology of that the psychology of doing that to another person. I don't, I don't think they realize that it's not actually, I would imagine, that easy to take someone's life. There would have to be a whole mental programming thing that had to happen to put you into that state. And, and when I used to talk to them about this, they'd all be in denial, there's a weird thing for some men that they feel like they're less of a man if they can't say to you, I could take a life. What do you mean? You take a life? Yeah, I could take a life. I could kill a man like that. No, I'd kill a man. You, you kill a man. Do you? Do you think that's a healthy mental state? oh yeah, yeah. If you need to, you kill. It. <laughs> Such like, I don't know about that. Like, I think they'd find it a lot more difficult than they might imagine. I mean, I've seen people who trained martial arts for thirty years get in an argument in a nightclub and freeze up and all their training goes out the window, at the stressful thought of being punched in the head by somebody in a bar, let alone (laughs) slicing the left hand off of someone and letting them bleed out on the floor in front of them. So, the deluded aspect to wartime martial arts is that people aren't training them, because that psychological aspect of the training is not there. I mean, there's stories of uh, the Japanese masters, certainly, I'm sure the Chinese were the same, sort of just post-war and things. Trying their techniques out on prisoners, sort of death row prisoners, and uh, and killing them to figure out how their techniques work. That's the kind, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating that at all. I think, <laughs> I think that's a terrible thing to do. But that's the kind of training that would be needed for wartime martial arts. So I don't even think wartime martial arts really exist in the West anymore, apart from maybe for psychopaths and sociopaths. Like I think they're gone. So that leaves you with the other two categories. So maybe we we change the wartime martial arts into deluded martial arts. That's what I view them as. Like the martial arts, people ask me like what I think of the martial arts. I think well, I think they're the realm of the deluded. You know, which <laughs> might be a bit harsh, but that, that's what I'm talking about. Then you get the. Second form of martial arts, uh, which is competitive martial arts, right? Uh, so, what are we talking about here? Well, I suppose, okay, so by competitive, I don't mean, like, contemporary wushu, where people show forms or something. That's competitive art. But I'm talking mostly about fighting arts. So, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, wrestling, uh, mixed martial arts, uh, karate, uh, taekwondo, I suppose, judo. You know, I mean, anything that's sort of competitive and they're... F- they're Testing each other in an uncompliant arena and trying to beat the other person—that's a, a competitive martial art, a sports martial art—and some of that is very, very high level. Obviously, especially now with UFC having all the funding for mixed martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and they've got money behind it, and it's like a—it's gradually becoming a more viable option of something to do as a life path. Like the, the level of uh, uh, athleticism and skill and refinement of that has gone through the roof. So sometimes. Uh, more traditional martial artists will put down uh, things like Brazilian jiu-jitsu and and uh, MMA and stuff like that as uh, being unskilled and uncouth and uh, but that's really not true. Like it really isn't. If you've ever done uh, any ground fighting, any Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's it's fucking complicated and refined. It's it's highly technical and incredibly good fun and really good fitness. Like when you <laughs> when you're rolling around on the floor and you're trying to Uh, apply the lock on the other person when they're trying to choke you out and uh, on the ground it's you find muscles you didn't know you had. I remember the first time I ever did any ground fighting the next day and I was you know I'd done a lot of uh, very fast uh, hard kicking and punching and striking before so I thought I was in good shape but there was muscles I didn't know I had the next day that were like aching and tight I could hardly walk it was like things underneath my ribs and in the shoulder joint, and in the back of the spine. Like little <laughs> muscles I just never used because I never had to lever a joint before upside down on the ground, you know. So incredibly good for your body. Uh, if done well. You know, if done badly, obviously, it's very <laughs> very bad for your body, but that depends on the, the school and the teacher more than anything else, the coach. But... Competitive martial arts have a different mindset and they're ultimately about beating the other person and based on sort of uh, complexity of technique and as well as athleticism and, and things like this. So competitive martial arts are a different thing. They have some um, shared attributes with uh, wartime martial arts obviously because the training is very hard, the impact you take is very very high, the amount of blows to the head you take is incredible. but. Um, obviously, there's not the merciless taking of a person's life, uh, <laughs> I would hope, or you will get banned from your tournaments very, very quickly. But you have that, right? Then you have the third category of martial arts, and this is how I see it. The third one is what I call peacetime martial arts. Okay, Peacetime martial arts are more what a lot of the Chinese martial arts became. Um, so they're really about refinement of sort of body control, Uh, and health, and mental health, and and things like this. All the things I was talking about earlier. Um, And peacetime martial arts, that for me, should still include some non-cooperative fighting or sparring or techniques. I I really believe that to be the case. I think it's a smaller percentage than competitive martial arts, of course, um, because your prime concern is not uh, winning in a competitive arena, but it still needs that because there's even if you 're doing it purely for psychology and you 're ignoring self defense completely there 's a huge psychological um, benefit to learning to overcome the stress and fear uh, that arises in you when you confront somebody who 's trying to damage you or is or is applying stress into your body i don 't count push hands by the way in Tai Chi as that. Like, I really don't. Push hands is a drill for understanding the flow of force. Um, I think that uh, for martial arts training, gongfu training, uh, a, a martial artist should always include, should always include a certain degree of striking with their fists, striking with their feet or their knees, Uh, grappling, locking, throwing, takedowns. Uh, uh, These, to me, are not style-specific. They are just general skills that a martial artist should have. And I think that's irrelevant to the style. I think if you study tai chi, if you study aikido, if you study, I don't know, long Fist. okay, that has a lot of kicks and strikes. And it it doesn't matter what it is. Bagua, you should still have a basis in striking, kicking, locking, ground fighting, and throwing, and things like this. Now... uh, this is where there becomes a trap, you know? Like, because people will misunderstand you. They'll think that you need these techniques because you want to make your martial art a viable working art or something. And it's like, well, not really. Uh, mostly it's because I think that it was partial art, part of martial arts training and you shouldn't take it away. Um, and secondly, because I, I think there's a huge amount of mental development that takes place from that kind of training, uh, that pure forms practice or... Uh, push hands practice or preset of practice can't give you you're never really dealing with stress because it's in a controlled environment so push hands for example in tai chi will give you uh, a good control of like how to song and release when force is on you but it doesn't give you that sort of panic zone <laughs> kind of stress that comes from completely uncontrolled striking and grappling training you know it's amazing when i've taught They've had people come along who've come for Chinese martial arts, and they've had real fear of the partner work, you know, the the free form uh, stuff, the striking and the grappling, which mainly makes up a small percentage of what I do, but I do some uh, with people. And actually, if it's taught well and it's taught sensibly, and you've got the right mindset, you can get people to do it safely, and you build them gradually and progressively, slowly up. And I've had the people you just would not expect, you just would not look at them and think they've done any. Uh, Sort of striking or kicking or grappling, Um, I've had them doing it to a pretty accomplished level and safely and having fun. You know, there's a there's a refinement and a focus and a concentration on what they're doing, but there's a lightheartedness about it that I think is really really healthy for peacetime uh, martial arts. I don't think it's healthy for wartime martial arts. I don't think that mindset should be there, but I think for peacetime martial arts, I think that's fine. You know, I guess there's a fourth category that I call. uh, Sort of Well, that I, I suppose is just kind of the extras, isn't it? Well, tai Chi done purely for health or, you know, just very slow, relaxing movements or something. I think that's okay. That's a, that's good too. I think that's fine. But to me, it's not really martial arts anymore. Um, it's just a practice of, maybe it's an art. Maybe it's just an art, you know, like if you're just doing Tai Chi for your arthritis, that's for art. Uh, some people do Tai Chi really cosmically, you know, so they can align with the animal spirits in the stars and things like that. Uh, that's bullshit martial arts, <laughs> that's bullshit martial arts, that, that's, that's completely missed the point, that's not what they're about. So, if someone is training uh, peacetime martial arts, you are training the ultimate self-defense, which is the numbers game again, of learning to deal with uh, mental stress and the diseases um, that can affect you, including the fourth most common death, remember, which was accidents, which is basically stopping you being clumsy. Um, and you're, you're learning to deal with these so you become healthy and happy and things like that. But then you're also training uh, enough striking and kicking and things like that, grappling, that you have a basic understanding of self-defense because there is a slim chance you could be attacked at some stage in your life. Um, and I think also because uh, the mental qualities that are developed uh, from that kind of work is, uh, is quite profound, actually. It's quite profound. I see people doing Qigong or meditation for years. Uh, and they kind of often glass ceiling somewhere, then they do a little bit of martial arts training, and they learn to kick and strike, even if it's completely out of their comfort zone, uh, and, a, and a bit of grappling and things like that, and, and as long as it's taught well and safely, then it's all good, and then I see them make that mental leap that they were often struggling with in Qigong or meditation. It's quite amazing, and then they're just over that hurdle. It's like they just step over that hurdle, and then that's it. Like, great. They can, they can progress in their art, and that's where the crossover of some of these arts come from, you know. So, for myself, I sit in a strange place because I have no interest in taking a person's life. Why the fuck would I want to do that? I don't want to hurt people. And I don't have any interest in, uh, I guess, the sporting arena in a really highly refined way, because I'm too old. <laughs> if nothing else injuries take too long to recover from if you are past like twenty five or something you know I don't have any interest in that and i and I think that it's not it doesn't create the refinement of mind that I'm after. I also know what I'm like, and I think if i were i'm quite susceptible susceptible to the kind of the psychological qualities and mental energies of a thing. I know that sounds very hippieish all of a sudden, but if I were to go into like full on sport fighting uh <laughs> It would fully consume my mind because that's what I'm like, and I'd become very obsessed with it. And I think that I would end up becoming angry and competitive and everything that I don't want. That's what would happen, you know. I'd become super alpha, angry. I don't want all that. Like that. That's what I was like when I was younger. And it's like, oh thank God, the chemicals have died down a little bit as I've aged and I moved away from that. And that's perfect. I don't want to bring that back. No, definitely not. And I certainly don't want extreme injuries. But at the same time. I do enjoy the sparring and the grappling and the and the, the wrestling and and ground fighting I love and that's why I sit in a really strange place because you've got the 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 real martial, martial artists the idiots um thinking that I'm too woo woo because I study the energetics and the esoteric side of it and and internal forces and things like that um, but a reason I study that is because it's part of tai chi and I think it, I'm, I'm amazed by the amount of Tai Chi practitioners who are fully in denial of that being a part of Tai Chi, despite the majority of the classical texts talking about that, and despite the past masters, who we sort of universally agreed as the masters of these traditions, actually demonstrating these things in, in some of the older video photos I mean, it's part of the art. So they find it strange I study that. But then I've had, like, uh, what I do consider really woo-woo people come to train with me, and they found me too much like the others. Like, I do too much grappling and wrestling uh, for them, um, and they get a bit confused. But, what, so what am I? Where do I sit on this spectrum? The answer is, I like it all. I like it all, you know? There's, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be pigeonholed. So, I'm, I'm, I maintain my fitness. I do a lot of running and aerobic uh, work and things like this, keep my body nice and healthy. Uh, I develop the freedom of movement of my body uh, with sort of body weight exercises and, and ground work. And I like being very creative with how I use my body and I work with it. I like striking. I like kicking. Ground fighting and wrestling are amazing fun. Like, if you've got a nice partner to work with, which is someone who's not um, compliant, you don't want compliancy, um, but is not trying to kill you either because. Fuck that, like I'm too old and I don't want to give a shit. I just want a good partner who's nice to compete with a little bit on some level, but not in an uncomfortable fashion. But if you, you know, what I mean by uncomfortable is like you want someone who makes you work. You want someone who's better than you, uh, but you don't want someone who's trying to injure you. That's not what you want. You don't want a spiteful, clumsy partner. If you've ever been to martial art classes, and it doesn't matter what you've been. I've been in karate, I've been in Wing Chun, I've been in Shaolin. Actually, I've been in some Tai Chi classes that have them as well. I've been in MMA classes that have them uh, quite a lot. There's always those one or two people that nobody wants to pair up with, you know, because they're just spiteful and (laughs) mean and they're just trying to work their anger out in an unhealthy environment. And it always gets a bit clumsy and a bit bruisey when you train with those people because you you end up sort of, it gets a bit heated. So I try to avoid those kind of people these days because I just don't want them in my life. But I do like the non-compliant uh, side of that kind of training. I think it's fun and I think it's very, very good for your mind. But I do it because, uh, like I say, I think the ability to stay creative and calm and released and relaxed uh, in a high-pressure uh, environment of, of working out with someone and fighting with someone, I think is incredibly good for you. I think it, it creates a centeredness that's, that's so good for uh, for the rest of life. I think that's brilliant. Um. And I'd, but then I also like the other side. like I like the push hands, I like the fudge in, I, I like the releasing and the launching of people off of their feet and, and understanding how all those subtle things work, the subtle nuances inside their body. I'm under no delusion <laughs> that that kind of uh, work is creating the ultimate weapon. I don't think so at all. You still need the basic skills of distancing, timing, moving footwork, striking, and things like that. But it's still a fascinating phenomena that takes place in uh, partner work with someone within internal arts. It's absolutely fascinating, and it, the ability to mobilise the chi and the force through the inside of the body, which ultimately, what well, it just shows you can mobilise what they call the chi classically. You know, and I don't mean some mystical energy. I'm, I'm referring to uh, various physiological sort of nervous system and soft tissue releases inside the body in a very specific manner that matches the way Tai Chi should move internally, but often doesn't with the way people do things because. Generally, people aren't very really good at what they do in life, but it shows you're able to do that, and it's a fascinating thing to work with, and that gives another refinement and cultivation of mind as well. And I think that one of the saddest things about martial arts, especially the Chinese martial arts, is that why do people have to choose a side? I find it very strange. Why can't you study the entire spectrum of something? Uh, there's nothing, if, you, if you're into fajin and tai chi and, and things like that, there's nothing wrong with also yeah. studying the grappling and sparring and fighting and if you're into grappling, sparring and fighting and you want to be the next Conor McGregor or some shit like that, there's nothing wrong with exploring the internal side of things as well because you never know, there might be something in there that's worth learning and by studying that whole spectrum of this tradition, somewhere in the center you find the path that is best for you as, uh, as a form of uh, cultivation, self-defense against all those things are gonna wipe you out, your own stress, your own sickness, and basically yourself. You know. Martial arts, on that level, when you study them in that, that way, they're so rich and such a beautiful, uh, transformative art form. You know, and, and I've seen it like, people can go down two routes they go into the, they they move out into the art and spread, and it opens up, and they study all these different facets, or they become boxed in and boxed in and more pigeonholed until they become a sort of a caricature of one very facet of martial arts, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of how like styles were developed, you know, so say you have something like Bagua, you'll have different styles, Chang and Yin Fu and, and Yang style and, and Gao style and things, and to me, like what styles were where one person taught five people or something, and each of those five people happened to be good at something. So maybe this guy here was better at the throwing side of the art, and the other guy was better at the striking side of the art. So then they tended to emphasize that in what they're doing. And then two generations later, because those bits became emphasized, they became styles. And that's it. That's how a style is formed. It's because somebody had a slightly overly pigeonholed, in my opinion, sort of study of one facet of that art. Uh, and that's why in martial arts what you should do is you should study a style or system in depth, but then within uh, certain parameters, you should then s- sort of break away from that style and look for the things that are missing from it. So I don't mean to cross-train in like a weird fusion fashion, but what I mean by that is like take Tai Chi. So I've studied Tai chi for since I was 14, uh, and I've studied uh, numerous styles of yang, from the yang-chen-fu line, Huan chen shan and chen man variants, uh, uh, Nanpei system, uh, Tian Jiao Lin's line, some of Yang Shaha's work. I then studied uh, Chen Village style and the Hunyuan uh, Feng Ji Chong style of uh, Tai Chi as well. I studied Longmen Pai style Tai Chi. I've done a little bit of Wudang stuff for the sort of Wushu uh, side of Tai Chi as well. Never done any Sun style, never done any of that. But all of these other systems of Tai Chi I've looked at, um, in order to, not to create a weird fusion, but to understand uh, how the different systems had emphasized different parts of it, right? So because one system had emphasized this bit of it, it became that style. And this other system, this other founder, had been much better at the other part of it. So that became a separate style. And you can see it. You can see how they went in their different directions. And as long as you stay within one thread, so for me, Tai Chi, uh, you can you can sort of piece together after a while... The bits that were lacking in your your sides in your in your line, so i am still very much a yang stylist, that's it. Yang style Tai Chi is my main thing and um, but I probably couldn't anymore say I was a Huang Chin specialist or a yang Chen Fu specialist, not not really I'm, I'm just just a Tai Chi practitioner. that's it, just a Tai Chi practitioner. There's strengths in all the lines and I think on a wider side of things, if we look at those three types of martial arts. Wartime martial arts, competitive martial arts, peacetime martial arts. You can treat them the same way. Like the ultimate freedom, if you like, of expression and art. Okay, not wartime, fuck that, throw that out. But the other two, you know, is to study uh, the other mindsets. Uh, Study both mindsets and try to pick some up, you know. So uh, as you study the health, you study the... Uh, sort of martial side of it, the competitive side of it, and you study the, dare I say, the internals and the esoterics that were definitely pointed at within the traditions. Um, you can't deny they were there. Chinese martial artists who deny that the founders are pointing at something esoteric and self-cultivational um, are in denial of, of something that's very, very clear. You know, Almost all the writings of the masters were about development of the spirit. So to deny that side of it is a bit of a... Well, it's arrogant. I think it's arrogant. I think it's arrogant. to go, well, the founders said to do that, so, nah, it's archaic and medieval and superstitious, so I'll ignore that. I think that's quite arrogant. I think think you have to look at what they were pointing at in the first place. I also don't think that you should have an opinion. Well, this is gonna be a bit harsh. I apologize in advance. I also don't think you should be able to have an opinion on martial arts uh, with regards to the higher and complete purpose of what they're for. Unless you have studied at least, I don't know, let's put a number on it, two decades, three decades, maybe it's four decades, maybe I don't have a right yet, who knows. I don't think you should have a right until you have studied for that long okay? and gone in depth, like 30 years of doing the occasional evening class is not the same. Like It has to be intense study over a long period with an open mind to explore the various facets of the art uh, before you 're allowed to have an opinion on what the sort of uh, more complete aspects of it are don 't you can 't do martial arts for two years and then decide you 're an expert and you 're going to tell everybody what they 're about like that 's that 's nonsensical you can 't do that you can 't understand the higher aspect of it it 's not possible you don 't deserve an opinion on that level and this is part of the problem with the internet again right like <laughs> you 've got people that have studied for Uh, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, some of them? No, they're too old, they wouldn't know how to use the internet. (laughs) But the other lot, you will have in the future, I guess. Um, Having arguments with people who've studied for like two years, three years, five years, and assuming that they're on an even keel to have that argument, and, and then kind of societally, we think that's okay, everybody's entitled to opinion. Sure, they're entitled to opinion. But some people's opinions on a subject are worth less than others because they don't have as much knowledge. So to many that might sound mean, but to me it's obvious. Like I know how to drive a car, but I wouldn't expect my opinion on driving a car to carry as much weight as a top like Formula One car racer. Do you know what I mean? If I'm going to have a chat with them on a forum, which... I wouldn't do, because I don't care. But if I was gonna have a tremendous and they're gonna tell me about how a car, I'm just gonna listen. At no point am I gonna say, no, you're wrong. Like, that won't happen. Even if what they're saying sounds really strange to me, I'm not gonna argue, because I don't have enough knowledge. I might keep an open mind, and I might think, okay, I'll consider what they're saying, and carry with what I but I wouldn't be arrogant enough to think I have a right to argue with them on the subject. They, that's their life. I'm a hobbyist, they're an expert. And I think, if people understood that mindset a bit better then <laughs> maybe maybe there'd be less of this uh, nonsense and misdirection and things uh, taking place within the martial art world at the moment. So I don't want to talk for too long on these. I really just want to, I don't know, highlight some aspects of martial arts and the different types of it and, 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 and things. And I think those three different categories are quite important to understand. And I think I wanted to highlight as well why people argue and, and they can't necessarily understand that that they are arguing about things that aren't the same. Like competitive martial arts and peacetime martial arts aren't the same. Contemporary wushu and classical martial arts aren't the same. Deluded death touch martial arts and reality and sanity aren't the same. <laughs> so you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to argue with each other because people just aren't doing the same thing. And I think if you want to, if you're a listener and you're a martial artist, my advice is go and, th- you know the thing you don't like, not the, not the martial stuff, but say you're into tai chi for health, okay? uh, maybe tai chi for spirituality, uh, go and do some jiu-jitsu. Like, go and do some. Don't have to become an expert, so, but go and do some. Go and do some of the other stuff you don't like very much. If you are a sort of someone who's into the fighting side of it and things like that, Go find somebody really good, not the local hippie in your local community center, but go some, find somebody who's really good uh, to maybe show you some of the other side of the style. Not someone deluded and nonsensical, but somebody who really knows what they're doing, even though they're quite hard to find. And, and Try that side of it and explore the whole spread uh, of what martial arts can do from both sides. Because if if you look at both sides, my experience of it is actually fine. It's, it's not that bad. Like, and it, It's all... It's all good for you, you know, and and hopefully most of those arguments could just sort of fade away. I even remember being young, being in the Japanese martial arts. And when you're young, you're you're stupid, so you you have these strong opinions. And I remember looking at the Chinese martial arts when I was really young, before I did them, thinking, what a load of shit. What a load of shit was that. I'll never do the Chinese arts. Flowery fucking nonsense and silk suits and wild, what the fuck. Uh, And then I did them, i finally did some i did long fist and tai chi and and things that i and i did that was my and then i did other chinese styles afterwards but i did it and i was like oh shit i was wrong there's loads in this there's loads in this there's loads and loads in this there's so much depth in this it's amazing it's just that i was looking at idiots doing it and that argument between japanese martial arts and chinese martial arts was such a major one when i was younger like in the Sort of 80s and 90s, Japanese and Chinese martial arts didn't see eye to eye. And it was weird because we'd adopted the racisms of the Chinese and Japanese who haven't always historically had the greatest of uh, love for one another because of various military and political problems they've had with each other. But I saw, <laughs> and I myself had adopted that racism just because, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, be careful because you will absorb the mindset of the person that teaches you quite often. So the mindset of the person who teaches you is quite important. Which is why, if you're looking for a class for your children, look for a teacher who is kind and centered and skilled. You know? But I'd adopted that, and, and I had to get out of that trap. And, and in some ways, I'm seeing that a little bit uh, recurring, but now not between Japanese and Chinese martial arts. It seems to be recurring, but uh, sort of showing its face once again between sport or combative martial arts and uh, peacetime or, or spiritual arts. And it, it's funny that the the... Insecurities in both sides <laughs> showing, so it tends to be more on the Chinese martial artist side. But they'll they'll be say things like, "My favourite, we're too dangerous for the cage. Our techniques will be banned." Like shut up, what are you on about? That's nonsensical. That's speaking from a place of insecurity. That really is. Like if you have to defend your art by saying it's too deadly for the cage, you're an idiot. <laughs> Look deeper. You you're just insecure because somebody who has tends to have a lot more strength a lot more power you is making you feel insecure remember that reason you started martial arts in the first place that person's touching that raw nerve right now and sometimes you see it the other side where you know they talk about cage fighters or jiu-jitsu people or or boxers i suppose these days or whatever saying that they're not spiritual and they're just sort of thugs and something like that so then they'll get insecure and talk about you know and i've seen the self-development spiritual side of of it being defended and just just stop it just stop it, like on a practical level, the level of medicine and cultivation uh, and alchemy that is included in high level Chinese martial arts just it's just unbeatable by any other tradition it 's quite it's incredible the fusion of spirituality and, and medicine and martial arts into one thing, and the Chinese were so refined but You have to find a good teacher. Don't just assume the style has it automatically. And good teachers of the Chinese internal martial arts are very, very, very difficult to find. And that's globally. Like, it doesn't matter, like, if you're in the West or the East, they're very difficult to find. But if you find someone who knows how they work uh, for that, the level of refinement of cultivation is incredible within the Chinese arts. And from the Chinese martial arts perspective, don't get insecure about the, the cage fighter the cage fighter that that could defeat you in a combative arena, the reason you shouldn't get a score is because that's primarily what they're training for. And nothing for combat really beats being in a sporting gym and being hit repeatedly and hitting people repeatedly, learning to take damage, striking people, and learning to wrestle on the floor. and and grapple in a non-cooperative arena, and, and also look at the size of some of these guys, they're huge I mean, the, the level of athleticism is a lot higher in those arts, so obviously they are going to have the edge in that kind of arena, if you want to fight in that kind of arena, you have to do similar training, taking strikes, striking people, grappling and, and things like that and to think that by standing in Jamjong which will help you to sink and fill the body with qi and mobilize it is going to make you as capable at combat as the person who is spending six hours in a day in a boxing gym, learning to bob and weave and slip punches and get hit. That's quite major. If you think it's going to make you as, as capable as combat for combat as that person, you're deluded. Like, you really are. Like, you're, you're not training for that. You're training for something else. But don't get insecure about it because you're training for something else that's really what it comes at you're not training for that arena so don't don't get sucked into those arguments with those people if you want to train for that arena fine but train properly for it if you want to train for cultivation and health fine but train properly for it you know and if you have a clear goal a clear idea of what you're doing and you can tailor your training in the right way you'll 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 go the right way like that that's it that's what the art the art will do so personally in conclusion I think most of these arguments are a bit... (laughs) I think they're a bit daft. I think they're a bit daft. I think the arguments between the Marshall and the Wu I think is a bit stupid. But I think maybe it serves a purpose because I think people are thrashing things out. I think sometimes it appears as just abuse. You know, you're a cunt because you train this. It can get that rude. I mean, I've had um, death threats online, which I don't... I've I've had one person threaten to rape my wife because of the the chinese martial arts i do um because i didn't do the the style they did which which is a level of mental illness that is off the charts again but uh i think like it comes across often this abusive fashion but i think actually like people are debating they're thrashing ideas out and and sort of seeing where it goes i, I just think that's how it manifests from people often so maybe maybe there's a constructive side to it or maybe i'm just trying to find a constructive side, and people are just assholes online. I, I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't decided yet. Uh, but if these, you know, if you're getting caught up in these arguments, like don't, don't, just look to what your art is. Try to understand it. Understand what what it's doing. Which of the categories it sits in, and then, and then train. You know, and ultimately, if your art is making you happier, healthier. Uh, better at living all the parts of your life, kinder to your wife, better to your children, more efficient at your job, calmer when you're better at resting, Like, and, and that's important too. And if it's making you healthy and not making you angry, it's doing the right thing. If after 30 years in the martial arts, you're still angry and worked up and petty uh, and worried about every little thing that happens and, and, and everything in life is a fight, uh relook at what you're doing because it's it's not working for you it's changing you for the worse thank you